this evening. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, all the days that he separateth himself from the Lord. That's numbers. Let's try that again. <laughs> all right. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verse 6. I had selected the... Uh, all right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. So here is being a ministry-minded, having a ministry oversight here within the home, uh, ensuring that the Word of God is taught and applied, not just taught and not just memorized, but principled in the fact wherein uh, the, the application of God's Word is also taught and uh, knowing how to deal with it when pressure of life is upon an individual. And so we do have that at this time. Let's go to the Lord and ask for His blessing. Uh, and then we will uh, look further at this lesson this evening. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. And God, I thank you uh, for your marvelous grace. Father, I pray that you'd help me as I preach your word tonight. I need your help, and I do uh, ask for your strength and your guidance. Lord, calm the nerves, and may you be lifted up. I love you and thank you for all you've done and will do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. I need to turn this other light on real quick. Oh. It'll take just a second, it'll warm up, thank you. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, being a ministry-minded overseer, and uh, discipleship, really, disciple-making is spiritual parenting. When you are ministering to someone and helping them to grow in the Lord, it is kind of like a spiritual parent. God provides a perfect picture of an oversight. Uh, here in this passage of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, it talks of teaching and diligently to thy children. So there is, how do I apply God's word? So God deals with us as children. And as we're learning, many times, we're learning principles of God's word. We could be uh, younger, older, wherever we're at, Timothy was a young man, but yet he was spiritually mature, uh, and he was a pastor at a young age. But the three emphases that we, uh, as we look at this idea, follows an outline really of the actual parenting process. The first one that we look at is restraining the flesh. The first item of business within the home uh, is for a child in their preschool years to be taught how to obey. You tell them something, and they need to respond accordingly and, and respond accordingly with a good attitude. Second of all, as we look at this, uh, we learn to live, how to live wisely. Require the development of a renewed mind. And one that thinks as God thinks. Must be taught the proper applications of self-denial in various areas of life. If you don't want to do something, you still, but you know you need to do it, 
how do I do this, learning to live wisely? I don't want to do it, but I know I should be doing it, and so I need to do it with the right attitude. So that's learning uh, how to have a biblical motivation. There's sometimes things I, want to, I have to do or I should be doing that I don't necessarily want to do, but I know that I'm supposed to do it, and so the biblical motivation is, am I willing to please God more than my own self? And that is the aspect of a self-denial. I'm denying what I want for the honor uh, of honoring and glorifying God. So I'm turning my face towards God for help, and I'm exercising faith and trusting him to say no to my desires. And the number three, during a teen years of discipling and parenting, should be able, a parent should be able to move to a coaching role as their parents see them consistently practicing God-dependent self-denial on their own. So a parent ought to uh, themselves, obviously, be exhibiting self-denial. When there's something I want to say, and I just had a conversation prior to uh, this tonight, and I was on the phone with a bank, and I had an issue, and it's really frustrating, and I was praying, Lord, please help me to have the patience. And the lady on the other phone, she was getting really mad, uh, not with me, but she was mad about the situation because a previous person to whom I'd spoken to had messed things up. And uh, so she was really mad. And, and I told her I was a pastor. And she's like, oh, I better restrain myself. You know, she was wanting to say some things that weren't so good. She said, I guess that's not a good Christian thing to say. I guess the lady was a, a professing believer herself. But nevertheless, practicing self-restraint. So the parents need to be exhibiting it first, uh, and then the children in their teen years, they're seeing, and the, to- the, the goal is during the teen years, the child is practicing a God-dependent self-denial. So they might be saying, I really want to do this. I know I'm not supposed to. I know God forbids it. God doesn't want me to do it, and so I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to be okay with it. I'm going to be okay with God's will for my life. Now, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 24, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. I want you to look with me at another passage of scripture in John chapter 12, verse 24. This is all under this idea in the biblical worldview, life comes after death. And what I'm meaning by that is you are dead to your will and your desire is to do God's will. And you know what, that's a challenge because we oftentimes, we want our way. We want it our, I want my way and I want my way right now. That was kind of frustrating even tonight. I wanted uh, to do something and I said, you know, just figure it out. I was on the phone for an hour and a half trying to get some banking issue resolved. It didn't get resolved and someone messed up and now it costs me 30 days to wait. And I'm like, ah, seriously, you know, one person made a wrong direction. But in this whole aspect uh, of understanding that life comes only from death. So here in John chapter 12, verse 24, John chapter 12, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. You take a seed, it goes into the ground, essentially like death. 
And that seed, when the, the water and the other things are on top of it, it dies, but then it brings forth life. Now, in the whole biological process, I can't explain it to you, but this, the idea is you take a seed, it's dead, it goes into the ground, you bury it, and in that death, per se, it brings forth life. So the theme of death was a common one for our Lord. He himself stated that he had to die. What happened when Jesus died? And then he resurrected, he came to life. His life gives us life. His death gives us eternal life for all who trust him. And as you think upon this, the atomic structure of Christianity, at the, the, the most basic, essential, fundamental elements of Christianity is a death to our will. And you know what, that's the challenge, is that I try to assert, this is what I want, this is what I'm going to do. And unfortunately, when we do that, it produces tremendous, tremendous pain. It produces additional heartaches and struggles. A ministry-minded overseer will never forget the absolute necessity of a component of self-denial, developmental maturity. You see, matter cannot be explained with atoms. And so the Christian life cannot be understood nor reproduced without an ongoing death to self that Jesus calls self-denial. Now let's look at how we can effectively oversee the discipleship of others as they grow in Christ. So learning self-denial, this really is something that, uh, and I remember even as a child and even into my young, my 20s, uh, <laughs> you know, probably even my 30s, this whole, and, and I guess it's a continuing process of learning to say no to what I want and saying yes to God. You know, tonight I was getting really frustrated and I, I really, I just wanted to, you know, give him a piece of my mind, but I realized I'm like, well, number one, that doesn't do me any good. Number two, I can't change the situation even if I do get frustrated. And number three, uh, it hurts the cause of Christ. And so withholding, doing, without which there's a denial of self. Now, in the preschool years, as we look at this, the child must be taught the meaning of self-denial. You cannot have your own way. The first step of discipleship effort of any individual, of a believer, when they come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior after salvation, they need to understand that I am no longer my own. I've been bought with a price, so you can't have your own way. A child in his preschool years needs to know and needs to understand and hear and be taught the meaning of the word no, N-O, right? When you tell a child no, they need to understand that no means no, and there's some authority behind it. This self-denial must become a regular practice of life, but it's a God-dependent self-denial. It's an understanding that I'm dependent upon God for the denial of my own will. Now, when you come to kindergarten Christianity, and this idea here, and In a kindergarten Christianity, sometimes a parent of a youngster might say, well, yes, Johnny is a little hard to control. He's always had a hard time with taking no for an answer. Now, that child has not learned to submit their spirit 
to authority. And as a result, they will not be delivered from their own flesh and ignorance, nor will they be trained to be useful for God. The whole issue when I was in military and we were training and, and you're training and you're doing all these drills and, and, and all of these orders that you're given, they're doing it to produce in you that when an order is given, you comply. They want you to obey when they give orders. There's a self-denying submission to God, the primary lesson of a spiritual kindergarten. It is kindergarten Christianity in order to say no to myself and say yes to God, even though I may not want to do it. And you cannot make real progress in your spiritual life until we can begin to get to the place when my will is fighting me and there might be something I know that God wants me to do and I say no to it and I say no to God, then what I'm saying no to is ultimately uh, the authority of God and also, uh, uh, and as a consequence of that, I'm saying no to the blessings of God. In Proverbs 16.3, uh, it tells us, that commit thy th uh, works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So if I'm not doing what God has called me to do in the very first place, you know, if someone is not faithful in doing, uh, meditating on God's word, and they're not faithful to God's house, they will not proceed. I mean, those are the very elementary things that God gives to us. Now, uh, picking up where we had left off about this idea of be not weary in well-doing. Now, these lessons and doesn't like them will require that a parent consistently and calmly repeat the command. I mean, with our own daughter, it is over and over and over and over and probably a hundred times more over again, repeating some of these same statements of reminder. And we might be saying, oh, will they ever get it? The whole disciplining and discipling process of a preschool years is under that child needs to understand they cannot have their own way. A young mother, a young parent can grow very weary of telling their toddler the same thing over again. Very dis, uh, frustrating to interrupt whatever you're doing and then have to go interact with that toddler and correct them on whatever their disobedient action is. Now, Let's consider this, though. If you're working in a factory, placing a part on an automobile body, on an assembly line, right? The mother, if she's working here, will not grow frustrated if more car bodies that need a part keep coming down the line for her to assemble. So here you are. You, you have this one job. Maybe your job is to put the passenger door on. So that's your job. And every person that comes along, you use the machine, you pick up the door, you, you go, you screw it on to the body, and then comes the next part, and the next part, and the next part. And here you are in this whole assembly line process of putting doors on every body that comes, every a chassis that comes through your way. It wouldn't be annoying to do that because you understand that that's part of the process of putting that vehicle together. Now, training a child, toddler is much like that in the fact of, of repeating and repeating and repeating in order to form and mold that child so when the end product comes off the assembly line, uh, if you would in a car analogy, that the child is well equipped to do what it was created to do by God. 
a parent giving instructions. Same reminders over and over again. That's our parents. That's a parent's job. It is a paideia, the Greek word, but it's child training. It's a repetition of these commands. Now, in Galatians chapter 6, look with me here in the book of Galatians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. So, I like to think of it, if you're ever interested, real Christian college girls eat popcorn. I don't know how that works, but Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, pretty cheesy, but it works if you want to help remember some books. All right, Uh, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. And it reads here with us, we'll look at verse 9 as well. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. So a child who is left to themselves and not corrected, or a Christian, or a believer, or an individual in society who is not corrected on bad uh, behavior, they're going to reap some bad consequences. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. This is a verse we had a couple months ago as our verse of the month. So it, it, understanding this, that if I'm sowing to my flesh, I'm going to reap corruption. If I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to reap things that are of life everlasting. Now, verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Here's the principle. And 2 Thessalonians 3.13, we'll look there in a second if you want to turn there. But the issue is, if I keep planting, and I keep planting, and I keep planting, and I keep planting, and I keep watering, and I'm watering and watering and watering these plants in the garden as, you know, according to whatever the schedule is, and day in, and day out, and day in, and day out, and, uh, you know, I'm doing it on the schedule that is prescribed for this particular plant, in due season, I will reap if I faint not. Now I put up protective measures to keep the other animals away and whatever I necessary to do, but I'm protecting those seeds that will grow into little sprouts, that'll grow into little plants, that'll grow up to big plants, and therein produce whatever the product is that you planted. So if in the discipling relationship, it is not primarily about controlling behavior and teaching good habits, but it's... Uh, It's not about just controlling behavior and teaching good Christian habits. It is the process whereby a God-loving, word-filled leader structures and supervises the experience and the environment they lead so they come face-to-face with God and His Word and His ways. So in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.13. It says, But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Do you ever get tired sometimes? You think, man, in my Christian life, I, I remember in the early days 
uh, back when I was in the military, and I had been struggling with some things in my life, and really struggling, and I thought, man, I'm never going to make any spiritual progress. I'm like, you look at these missionaries of yesteryear, and I read missionary biographies, and I like reading missionary biographies, but I'm thinking, man, I could never do what they do. I don't know how they got to be like a spiritual giant like that, if you would, uh, if you want to think about it like that, but how do they get there? Well, the only way that they get to be a spiritual dying is they are not weary in well-doing. If somebody wants to become a bodybuilder or they want to become an excellent athlete, it takes going through the fundamentals many, 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 many times over until they're able to uh, excel on those and then get to some more advanced things. And then in the advanced stages, they'll begin to grow more. And then eventually, if they want to be a hockey player, I mean, it's just tremendous hundreds of hours of practice until they finally reach the professional leagues. Being out weary and well-doing. So in the Christian life, it's day in and day out. I'm spending time with God. I'm dealing with sin. I'm, I'm saying yes to God and no to my flesh. It's, it's day in and day out. And, and there's some days that I'm just like, man, God, I just want to give up and throw in the towel. There's some days when you're as an athlete and you're, you're working hard or you're bodybuilding or whatever you're doing that you're just putting your whole might into and you're thinking, I don't want to wake up. I'm just too plain tired this morning. But it's the foundation for everything in our Christian life. Spiritual growth will come in the form of the learning of saying no and taking no for an answer from God and the other authorities and learning to give immediate and cheerful obedience. You know, the real test of our character is should God say no or should someone say no to me, an authority in my life, And I might not like it, and yet in my attitude I can do it with cheerfulness and obedience. Say, all right, that's the word, I'm going to move forward, and I can do it with joy. In the next level, you disciple your child, you know, the disciple or the child can learn reasons behind each limitation, understanding why maybe a no was given. You know, learning a higher motive for obedience. You know, sometimes someone might say no to us, and you think, you know, as a little kid, you might, your parents might say, no, I don't want you working with the chainsaw right now. You're too young. When you get older, yes, you can work with the chainsaw. Why? I know how to run it. I've seen you do it. I can pull the trigger, and I can pull it and start it and all that. Yes, but do you have the strength and the, the cognitive awareness to understand that if you hit a tree wrong and it kicks back at you, it could cut your leg off? I mean, so the, the no might very well be, hey, they're saying no because they don't want you to hurt yourself. There is no life without death in God's worldview. And so it is God's... It is, The job of an individual as an overseer, if you're discipling someone, to make sure that in the individual that is being ministered to, learning a God-dependent self-denial. God-dependent, meaning I'm not relying upon my own feelings and emotions. I'm going to rely on what the Holy Spirit of God wants me to do. This is a foundational principle. Self-denial is a paramount issue to all of us. You cannot build nothing godly in our life or in the lives of others unless I learn to obey And I start practicing God-dependent self-denial. So in the next step, if we go forward, in the school age, learning application. So how do we do this? All right. So the flesh will produce chaos. When manifesting itself, it will produce chaos. So look with me at James chapter 3, verse 15. James chapter 3. 
So 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, James 3, 15. James 3, 15 and 16. <clears throat> Let's look at verse four. Uh, look at verse thirteen. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom here, verse fifteen and sixteen, descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Then in 1 Corinthians 14.33, I'll turn there real quick, but 1 Corinthians 14.33. So when I give in to my flesh, it produces chaos. 1 Corinthians 14.33. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So the, the issue is when I listen to my flesh, I'm going to create more disorder than if I was following God. Now, let me give a little bit of information on this. Some individuals are naturally more organized than others. But irrespective of that, someone who might be very organized in their uh, logistics of life, yet internally and in their emotions, they could be very chaotic. Or someone could be, maybe not be as organized. And then again, their lack of personal discipline as well as uh, self-discipline with God creates even more confusion. But irrespective of this, God is not the author of this chaos and confusion because of a, a, a fleshly response where I learn to say yes to what feels good. For instance, if someone is struggling, maybe, uh, you know, and they're saying, I'm going to lose weight. And this individual says, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to say no to sugar and yes to healthy food. Okay, I'm just giving a, a crude analogy here. But then they go into the grocery store and they see a big old tub of ice cream and they see a big old Snickers bar and a Mars bar and, and a, a Kit Kat or whatever the candy bar might be. And they say yes to that. And then they they like, well, I, I'll have a one time off. I'm going to partake. And, and so then they just indulge in the ice cream and the candy bars and they just and then the next day they think ah I'm going to get back on the bandwagon and I'm going to do right and and then again and again and again and many times over you know like a new year's resolution for many times many people it just is this kind of this cycle but this idea here of the word confusion as we found here in first corinthians means a state of disorder disturbance confusion tumult or commotion when our flesh is not restrained, it produces only chaos and every evil work. A child that is not, has not learned and has not been trained in discipline to cheerfully take orders will produce a rebel. The second time of life the disciple trained he is taught to value order you cannot become a productive citizen of a household or of a church community or church or community unless you abandon the chaotic lifestyle of selfish 
living. Do you ever know of anyone who's selfish? It creates some very creates chaos around them, creates increased drama because of their selfishness. The motivation for this orderliness later in this, it's going to show us how to keep this orderliness in our life. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But how to keep orderliness from becoming like a straitjacket where it is maddening. Orderliness is necessary if you're going to be a disciple. Now, how do we, learning law and order, are foundational principles. Now, law and order is a good thing. We like law and order. Can you imagine no law and order when it comes to driving on the roads? What if I feel it's appropriate to drive on the left-hand side of the road in opposition, say if I'm driving uh, here on this outside the, the church here, we have uh, a road that goes by, and, and if, I, if I drive on the left-hand side of the road, I should be going, uh, I should be heading uh, south, and if I, some direction toward south, right? And if I'm heading uh, to the right of the church, looking from where I'm at, and I head to the right, I should be heading in a more northerly direction. Now imagine I want to go on the left-hand side of the road, and rather than going south, I'm on the left-hand side of the road, and I want to go north. But someone else who's following the laws of the roads, they say, well, I'm going to follow the laws, and I'm going to keep going south if I'm going on the left-hand side of the road. It's going to be very chaotic if everyone has their own rules for how to drive on the road. You know, if a, if a red means go for me, and a green means stop, and a yellow means I don't know, whatever I want it to mean, it's going to be chaotic. Law and order. And children who are given responsibilities to clean their room, rake the leaves, pick up toys, clear the table, vacuum the floor, take out trash, wash the car, etc., are learning to bring order out of chaos. The child needs to learn to carefully, cheerfully take orders. The first major thrust of discipleship and learning to value and practice orderliness. You know, learning the fact it's nice to have a clean room. When we learn law and order, it really is the foundational principle of being a productive citizen. Understand, we are not to live for order, we are to live for Christ and value order. I, I like things orderly. I like things uh, organized. I like them in a systematic fashion. A person whose life has order is constructive and his deeds and words is indeed, you know, instead of being destructive. Someone who is uh, disorderly, you know, and they try finding some things and they spend a lot more extra time trying to find something than if they know where it's at. Now we determine our activities by our priorities, not by what pressures him. You know what, if we have certain activities, and I know I need to be there at this particular time, I'm preparing for that, and rather than at the last moment preparing for something and be like, ah, I gotta get ready for this, ah, and I didn't prepare for it, then it creates additional chaos. Scheduling time and working towards these goals. Anything worthwhile in life comes through processes. If, as I was going through school, it took a process. As, uh, as the, the, the place where I was, the Bible college where I was learning, it took a systematic way. You take this course and this course and this course. I mean, you could kind of mix it up a little, but I needed to take those courses to complete and get the degree. 
So there's a continued effort. Be not weary in well-doing. So a ordered person understands and lives out the principles and bodies such as a place for everything and everything in its place. Or failing to plan is planning to fail, right? A chaotic person's life, though, is characterized by haphazard efforts to accomplish things that press them the most. Oftentimes, a person who is disorderly or chaotic, they are responding, they're continually responding to events of life. This happened. Here's a mess here. Oh, I got to go clean this up. I got to make this friendship right. And then this happens. Oh, I got to do this. And you're always trying to get ahead and you never get ahead because you're always behind because you've never failed to plan and you've, you, you've never learned to deny yourself. You've never learned to put any discipline in. And so your life is chaotic. You're living for whatever pleases you. Oh, I finally have a break. Oh, and then you rest too long, you don't plan, and maybe you sleep too long, and then you get up in the morning, and ah, you know, a person that said, I don't have time to read the Bible when I wake up in the morning is a person who is undisciplined. Because they're not putting it in, if you're not planning for it, it won't happen. If an important person to you is coming into town, someone you really love, someone you cherish, someone you uh, enjoy their time, you're going to make the effort to ask time off of work, whatever is necessary to spend time with that person. You make plans for spending time with that individual. And yet we don't do that with God. We're not planning. Well, when I wake up, Oh, I slept in my alarm. Oh, you know, and it happens day in and day out and day in and day out. And maybe go to bed a little bit earlier. Many parents live such chaotic lives and they never teach their home of discipline. Lives are not set by any schedule. Meantime, mealtimes when a family sits around a table is non-existent. Everyone eats, they go to themselves, maybe they sit in front of the, the television or in front of their cell phones now is the modern thing, but bedtimes vary from night to night, up and down and all over the place. And child training, when child training responsibility or discipleship of others is approached with a mentality of casualness, it produces chaos. It may produce a grudging disgust for the other. A lack of structure, principled, and godly problem-solving habits in homes will lead to all sorts of emotional upheaval in the family members. One moment, the parent might be, you know, one moment if a parent says yes to this one time because they're feeling good, and then another time, the family meant the parent doesn't feel good or they're having a bad day, and so their answer, which they've said yes before, now they're saying no, and so now you're like, I don't know what to do because mom and dad are so, I mean, their emotions are like, you know, up and down, and you're like, I hope I, you know, I'm kind of like trying to feel the wind on their emotions and trying to, you know, is it right? There's a lack of structure. Because every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. And chaos ensues. Children growing up in chaotic lives like this do not, I mean, very difficult to become a productive citizen. But even more difficult it becomes to become a useful disciple for Christ. But that can happen. It's learning to say no to my flesh. And often, many of, much of this happened, I know for myself personally, there was a lot of chaos at home growing up. And there was a lot of things, emotional ups and downs and all sorts of things. 
And it wasn't until God got a hold of my heart and God began to make life very miserable for me that he broke me of my will and I finally said no to my flesh and began to say yes to God because it was too painful to say no to him. And I realized, hey, (laughs) it's a whole lot easier just to go with God than it is against him. The author here says the grade school years, approximately ages 6 through 12, provide wonderful opportunities for parents to build upon the lessons of the preschool years. But again, we're learning the self-denial, the application of a God-dependent self-denial. That is where I am. I I realize that, you know what, I just need God, and I want to make him happy. You know, like a little kid, often our daughter will come home, and if we... We'd gone to the hospital. I went to go visit people here earlier this week, and she did really well and uh, had a very good attitude and all that. And I, I applauded her. I said, you did very good. And you know what? She just gets such a big smile on her face. It was just like, wow, Daddy's happy with me, you know? And, uh, and understanding that God-dependent self-denial is, you know what? I just want to make God happy. So I'm going to, sometimes I, I may not like this. I, I may not, but you know what? I want to make him happy. And by making him happy, you know what? I'm okay to say no to my flesh because I know it makes my father overjoyed. It makes him happy with me. Rather than saying there's a God in heaven who's trying to remove all the fun from my life, I'm understanding, listen, there is a God who wants to do much in my life. And I just get to the place where I just want to make my daddy happy. I need to get to that place where I don't feel like I'm under the watchful eye you know, kind of like a little kid when they begin to get older, get a little bit more responsibility, and maybe they're able to drive or whatever, and the, the child says, woohoo, freedom! And they're out on the roads acting like an idiot because they're not under the watchful care of a parent or someone else that's maybe been pushing harsh rules on them. You know, so that's the point. We hope when a child gets to an age where they are given greater responsibility and greater liberties that they begin to say, you know what, I still want to make mom and dad happy. I still want to make God happy. I still want to make to whomever's invested in my life, I want to make them happy with how I'm living my life. You know, Paul would say, I have no, or uh, the Apostle John, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. There needs to carefully, as a parent, oversee the selection of authorities. You know, it would be unproductive for us to allow our daughter to go to a home where there's movies and, and uh, language and, and uh, other things that are very ungodly. And then put her under that authority and expect her, when she comes back home, to behave in an orderly, godly fashion when she's been subjected to ungodliness. If a child goes to a school, a classroom, a summer camp that is loosely run, poorly supervised, it undermines what needs to be taught. And that's why in discipleship there's a regiment to it. There's a, there's a logical way with which it is ordered. A negative influence can create chaos. In elementary schools, orderliness is taught and reinforced when the children walk with other children to class. You walk, you don't run, right? You don't want to be walking through the, running through the halls when everyone else is trying to run because now you're, uh, you know, you're all going so fast and your re- response time is lessened by your running because, you know, and so you run into each other and you're banging and crashing. And I mean, that's the very same thing. The orderliness on the roads, they've set particular limits. 
you know, like in school zones, they make it very slow to protect the children. If a child walks in front of you on the crosswalk, you can stop and so on and so forth. But it's creating orderliness in our lives. And these are all strategies and structures of God for a God-loving, word-filled, ministry-minded disciple-maker that we want to be orderly and we want to honor God. We want to learn how to be God-dependent. And the goal by the teen years is to have a child, a teen, who is useful to the Lord in productive service. The goal is, as a believer, as we go through discipleship, to get to the place where it's not about trying to please others, it's merely about trying to please God and do what's right for God's, not what other people are saying. You know, in the workplace, oftentimes you might be confronted with some ethical situations, unethical things that might want to occur in the workplace, and you have to come to a place where right is right and wrong is wrong, and you're just not going to do wrong no matter what the cost, even if you lose your job. Because you want to honor God more than you want to honor yourself. Order does not make us godly, but it makes us useful. When I get to that place in my life and I understand, listen, I put God first. I spend time with God in the morning. The rest of my day can wait until I've spent time with God. When you put order in your life and you make God a priority, it helps you to be useful for God. Now, the school age years, I'm going to, school age years, the empowerment for godly living, I think I'm going to end there. I'll bring it to a close for this evening, and we'll stop on that. But the empowerment comes from really from walking in the Spirit. And uh, as we look at this, and we will be looking at this in the school-age years, the disciple trained and, and moving forward. I've got some handouts that I'll hand out next week uh, as we look at this a little further. But what we need to really focus upon in our young faith. I remember when I was back in the military, I, uh, the church I was at, the pastor, he said, Chris, you have a small faith. And I was really mad at the time when he said that, but it was true. Now, I was leaving the military to go to train for the ministry, and I thought, man, I'm like a spiritual giant here uh, to make that step. In fact, my faith was still very small. And God had to teach me many things. I had to learn to say no to my flesh. There's a lot of things that we want to do, but we know that God doesn't want us to do it, and He's saying no to it because He knows it will not produce in us to help us to become the most useful that we could be. And a child learning to, say, learning to say no to a child, and a child saying, okay, I'm going to just trust mom and dad. A believer saying, I'm just going to trust God that he knows what he's doing. I don't understand it, but I'm going to move forward. And oftentimes we study God's word, we'll come to an understanding. And so with the time of uh, invitation we're going to have here with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to really challenge you on this idea of a God-dependent self-denial and learning when God just says no. That's not right for you. God closes the door. You know, and we need to learn to just be dependent upon God and just seek to please Him. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, feel free to look up. 
and I'll conclude us in a word of prayer this evening, and we'll come to our prayer time after. But I just really want to challenge you in that thought of being a God-dependent, self-denying believer.